1: kind of yokes that when you put them together with an unbeliever, you get an unequal situation. Christians and friends, Christians in the world, watch out. If you are in an unequal yoke situation with an unbeliever, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be in trouble. Now, would that they all would come to know Jesus Christ, that would be my prayer. And that does happen. Yes, it does. It does happen. But the main thing happens is That person goes the other way.
0: We all know that if we hang out with certain people, trouble is not far behind, for us and them. In today's message, Pastor Dave shares about how you as a Christian can be influenced and your faith compromised when you connect too closely with unbelievers. That can lead you to a distant relationship with God. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Kings chapter 21 as he continues his message, The Lawlessness of Ahab and Jezebel.
1: Sure. Old Jesse. Jezebel. She didn't take lightly to her husband pouting. She didn't take lightly to her husband, the king, who was pouting, so she called him out. He said, Listen, guy, if you're not gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. If you're not gonna take care of these people, I'm gonna get you what you want. I had to look at this a couple times. I really did. I had to look at this a couple times. We know that Jezebel was a wicked, wicked woman. We know that. We know that she didn't worship the Lord God Jehovah. We know that. But I think there's something else missing here. I get the feeling something else is missing here. Go back all the way to the beginning. Go back to Genesis 3. Adam and Eve had eaten the forbidden fruit from the tree. They had eaten it. And God called them on it. And God called Adam And Adam's first words, it was the woman you gave me. But God didn't buy that either because he knew that he had eaten also. And so God pronounces what we call the curse. He says in verse 14, so God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle. And more than every beast of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And this is the first reference to Jesus Christ, by the way. This is the first reference to the Messiah that would come. Genesis 3.15. And he says to the woman, I will multiply your sorrow and and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. And here's where I'm going. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And the wording there is your desire will be to rule your husband. Your desire will be to rule your husband. But that's not the way God works. If Ahab was the spiritual leader of the household, like he was supposed to be, Jezebel, number one, wouldn't be worshiping Baal, but we would be worshiping the Lord God Jehovah. And he would have things under control. But because he was a wimp, and he gave her full reign of the house, and let her wear the turban in the family, and let her take care of all those things, he acquiesced his power to her. That's not God's way. God has an order. God has an order. And if you read through the scripture, the order is God, man, and the woman. But please, don't think I'm making women subservient to men. I am not. Jesus Christ did more for equality for women than anybody. There's none. We're all equal in the eyes of the Lord. There is no male, no female, but all in all in Christ. Remember that. But God has an order to things. And when the order is out of whack, lives go out of whack. Lives get stressed out and problems happen. Ahab didn't do his part as the man of the house. He did not do his part. We need more men to take their position in the house to be the spiritual leaders and not lord it over the woman. That's not what I'm trying to say. If you hear that, you're not hearing me correctly. Go back and listen to the tape. I'm not saying that. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life for them. Ahab did not do that. He didn't take his proper place. So the woman took the place for him. And she circumvents him. Look what she did. She wrote a letter in his name, used his seal. I mean, she's taking responsibility. Who's the king? I mean, who is the king here? Not only was there a sin of covetousness here, but now we have the sin of bearing false witness. The commandment, do not bear false witness, emphasizes the importance of the truth. Someone said, the truth is the cement that holds society together. When truth is gone, everything falls apart. Look what is happening today. What is truth? What is truth? Well, truth is whatever you decide it to be. If You say it's true, it must be true. What's true for you is true for you. you That's not right. That's not correct. But the queen never let the truth stand in her way. She was a determined woman, so she fabricated an official lie. Does that make it any better because it's official? No, a lie is a lie, no matter who shares it. She uses official stationery, which basically signs Naboth's death warrant. And it even gets religious here. Look at how she tries to pull in religion. Have a fast. Have a fast and have, you know, it's almost like something out of the Godfather. You know, they didn't just kill you. First, they took you to dinner. And they wined and dined you. And they made you feel like you were one of the guys. And then they took you out and whacked you. Here they're having this big dinner for this guy. Have a dinner. Come on. Seat him in the highest place of honor. But seat two scoundrels next to him. And then they'll jump up and say that he blasphemed God. And once they say that, by two, all bets are off. Remember, you have to have two witnesses. You have to have two witnesses to declare someone guilty. Once they said that, the townspeople were weak also. The townspeople were a bunch of weaklings. What did they do? They stoned the guy to death. They believed the lie also. You, you can sugarcoat and justify the lie all you want, but a lie is a lie is a lie in the eyes of God. The covetous king and then the lies of Jezebel lead to the murder of Naboth. This is a picture of how sin can multiply in our lives. One sin leads to another, and then another, and another. It has a domino effect. It has a domino effect. Let's look at 13, 11 through 13. So the men of the city, the elders, nobles, who were the inhabitants of this city, did as Jezebel had sent to them, as it was written in the letters which she had sent to them. They proclaimed the fast, seated Naboth with high honor among the people, and two men, scoundrels, came in and sat before him. And the scoundrels witnessed against him, saying, Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth has blasphemed God the king. Then they took him outside the city, and they stoned him with stones so that he was dead. Jezebel says, you're the king, you should have what you want at any cost. That was her thinking. You're the king, you want it, you should have it, even if it's someone else's. You should take it. You're the king, you deserve it. Remember when Israel wanted a king back in 1 Samuel? Remember how Samuel told them what would happen if they wanted a king? And he mentioned this kind of activity to the people of Israel. Now, this is long, long before this, but he told them, he prophesied, this is going to happen. This is going to happen when you have a king. Jezebel's agreement in the procedure she outlines was centered around the law of all things, Deuteronomy 17, Deuteronomy 19, and Numbers 35. However, the accusation was false. The witnesses were liars, and the judges were paid off and intimidated by the royal family. Cursing God and the king were capital crimes, which the punishment was death. So they carried it out. When you blaspheme God according to God's law, when, you, when, when, when you, you curse the king, you die. So now Naboth is out of the picture. The king makes a land grab. Then they sent to Jezebel saying, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. And it came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth of Jezreelite which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. So it was when Naboth heard that Naboth was dead that Ahab got up and went down to take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. Well, he got out of his funk real fast, didn't he? He really got happy. He was going to get what he wants. Unfortunately, the city where Naboth lived was ruled by weak men also. They conducted an illegal trial. The sad thing about it is, but in 2 Kings 9.26, it says that they didn't only kill Naboth, but they killed his sons also. They didn't want anybody in the family to come and say, that's my land, to inherit it. Sad situation. So Ahab steals the property. Here you have. He steals the property. And it's really the crux of the matter is that land did not even belong to Naboth. It belonged to the Lord. So Ahab was essentially stealing property that belonged to God. Ahab was stealing from God. Ouch. Ouch. Judgment is about to fall. God had had it. God had had it. Let's read verses 17 through 24. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord. You have murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord. In the place where the dogs licked the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. So Ahab said to Elijah, have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring calamity on you. I will take away your prosperity, posterity. cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah. Because of the provocation which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. And concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. Well, so he who comes against the Lord comes at his own peril. So judgment was passed. Naboth is dead. King Ahab takes the possession of the vineyard, and after six years of silence, here comes Elijah. Six years of silence. It's interesting that Elijah still brings forth the word of God even after six years. Elijah was silent because why? Why was Elijah silent for six years? Because God was silent. God was silent. Elijah only did what God told him to do. Elijah only moved when God told him to move. God was silent, so Elijah was silent. It tells me something. Sometimes God's silent in our lives. What does he want us to do during that time? Have faith, believe, move on. What did Jesus say to them about his coming back? Occupy till I come. Occupy till I come. There may be times of silence. There may be time when God doesn't speak. You may be going through a time of silence right now and waiting, when are you going to speak, Lord? When he's ready. Or when he has something to say. He'll speak to you. He will speak to you if you're listening and, and guiding. But he wants you now to remain faithful. He wants you to continue to remain faithful during this time that he's silent. And just because he's silent does not mean he has forgotten about you, does not mean he has shelved you, does not mean he doesn't love you anymore. He's silent because he's God and he can do whatever he wants. He is sovereign. So after six years, God speaks to Elijah. And guess what? Elijah's right there. Elijah's right there, comes right to Ahab, and he pronounces this judgment. We didn't hear anything about Elijah after he called Elisha. But now God calls him once again, and he gives him a assignment to go confront Ahab about his wicked ways. Elijah tells Ahab, because you have shed innocent blood, your blood will be licked by dogs. Remember when Ahab called Elijah the troubler of Israel? Now he calls him his enemy. Oh, my enemy. He knows He knows. Actually, it was Ahab and his wife Jezebel who were enemies of the Lord. They were enemies of the Lord. Sentence was passed. Ahab, king of Israel, would die. He would die a dishonorable death, and his blood would be licked up by dogs. And his wife, his co-evildoer Jezebel, would also die. But she would be eaten by dogs. Everything they did would eventually be eradicated from the land. They had enjoyed years and years of sinful pleasures and selfless pursuits, but judgment had come. God always comes. You can get away with it, and you can get away with it a long time. And I bet all the time they were getting away with it, Ahab, who knew who God was, said, It's not bad. We're getting away with this. God's not doing anything. <laughs> but here comes the interesting part. Here comes the interesting part, folks. In the last part of this chapter, God still throws some grace upon Ahab. He still throws grace upon Ahab. Not that the judgment won't take place. Not that the judgment won't take place. But he's still giving Ahab a chance to repent before the judgment hits. He's still giving Ahab a chance. Look at this. Read this. 25 through 29. But there was one like there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel his wife stirred him up. That woman you gave me. And he behaved very abominably in following idols according to all that the Amorites had done, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So it was when Ahab heard those words that he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his body, and fasted, and lay in sackcloth, and went on mourning. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, See how Abel has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days. In the days of his son, I will bring the calamity on his house. Our God is a most merciful God, and he loves to dispense his grace. Look what it takes. Look what happens here. This time, this time, Ahab doesn't run to his room, pull the covers over his head, suck his thumb. He repents. He repents by putting on sackcloth. He tore his clothes. Now, anytime you see in scripture where someone tears their clothes, they're tearing their clothes in disgust. And they're tearing their clothes in disgust. So Ahab tears his clothes. He puts on sackcloth with as a sign of mourning, which is a sign of repentance. And what does the Lord do? The Lord looks upon his heart. And he sees if the the repentant is true or not. Was Ahab sorry that he got caught? Or was he truly sorry? Was it a godly sorrow which leads to repentance? According to scripture, godly sorrow leads towards repentance. The Lord did not cancel the judgment. Think about that. He didn't cancel the judgment. But he did postpone it. He did postpone it. We'll read about that when we get to 2 Kings 9. But sadly, later events proved that Ahab's repentance was short-lived. But the Lord gave him an opportunity to turn from his sin and obey God's word. And there are two things that move God. There are two things that move God's heart. Faith and humility move God's heart. When these things are together, they cause God to respond. We see this time and time and time again throughout Scripture Ahab, the most rotten king of all history of Israel, humbled himself before the eyes of the Lord, and the Lord took notice. You wonder how much evidence someone has to have. This seemed entirely characteristic of Ahab. He seemed to be spineless, a pounding man who reacted this way when he met any kind of adversity, and he was influenced by his wife. Marrying her was, was, was the reality of selling himself to sin, but he, he knew that he had to do this. He knew that, that, that he had to repent and come to God. Why was this selling himself to sin? I'm gonna leave it with this. Turn over to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 6. Ahab was Jewish. He was a Jew. And he married someone who wasn't a Jew. Ahab 6:14 in 2 Corinthians. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness One of the reasons why God wanted Israel to go into the land and completely destroy everybody in the land, so that this kind of stuff wouldn't happen. He knew that they would take wives from other tribes, and the men would be lent over to the wives, and the wives would get their way and they would start worshiping other gods. Allah, Solomon, Allah, most of the kings that we see. God knew that, and the idea of being equally unyoked is based on Deuteronomy 22.9, which prohibited the yoking of two different kinds of animals together, when they were plowing the fields and stuff. It speaks of joining two things that should not be joined. There are many people who believe that theirs is a special case and not really covered by the scripture when they join with someone who is unequally, when they are unequally yoked. They say, oh, I can change this situation. I can save this person. I can make this person believe in God. I can make this person come to the Lord. That doesn't usually happen. What happens is the person who's trying to make the person come to the Lord goes that way. Instead of coming this way. I told you before, time and time again, it's worth repeating. As a teacher for 37 years, I saw kids, A, students, who would start running with a bad crowd. Not one of those bad kids in that crowd ever became an A student. But that A student, nine times out of ten, became a bad kid. What's the scripture, Mark? Evil company. Breaks down good habits. Unequally yoked. Unequally yoked. Old Greek saying, it says, the dice of the gods are loaded. You can't go against God and win. You cannot go against the word of God and win. You cannot do this. You can't do this. You can't say, I'm going to change this person. I'm going to change that person. And it's not necessarily all about marriage either. It's who you hang with. It's who you hang out with. It it, now, a lot of people use this for marriage, and it's good. You should use it for marriage. But it's also about who you associate with. Who you associate with. It's not limited. There are different kind of yokes that when you put them together with an unbeliever, you get an unequal situation. Christians and friends, Christians in the world watch out. If you are in an unequally yoked situation with an unbeliever, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be in trouble. Now, would that they all would come to know Jesus Christ? That would be my prayer. And it does happen. Yes, it does. It does happen. But the main thing happens is that person goes the other way. And this is what happened here. Jezebel, when Paul says this, he's not saying that we, don't need to, we, we shouldn't associate with unbelievers. That's ridiculous because how would unbelievers hear the word of God? He's not saying that. The principles is what we've been talking about on Sunday morning. What we've been talking about is to be in the world but not of the world. To be in the world but not of the world. Some writer I looked at said the ship should be in the water. The waters shouldn't be in the ship. An unequal yoke or an ungodly fluence It could come through a book or a movie or a TV show or a magazine or even worldly Christian friends. We want to hang around with godly people. We want to see God's work involved. Yes, we are to witness. I'm not discounting that. We are to witness. And all of us, every one of us has unbelieving friends, maybe even unbelieving family. So I'm not saying that we should not be around them. I'm just saying we can't be unequally yoked to them. I can't be with them constantly. The Corinthians were so worldly. They were not godly at all. They were really going the wrong way. If we stay in these situations, bad things can happen to us. Ahab couldn't get out. Ahab couldn't free himself from Jezebel once she got her hooks into him. He could not free himself. He was at her beck and call and did whatever she wanted him to do. And it cost them both their lives. It cost him the kingdom and his life, and it cost her her life too. The scripture that comes to mind, God is not mocked. Whatsoever you sow, that you will receive. You sow to the flesh, you'll reap to the flesh. You sow to the Spirit, you'll reap to the Spirit. What are we sowing? How are you sowing? God's judgment is just. You have to remember that. God's judgment is just. He is a just God. You are assured.
0: This has been another edition of A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave. Thanks for tuning in. Throughout the book of First Kings, we read about rulers who had victories and rulers who failed miserably. King Solomon, known as the wisest king, made his own fair share of mistakes in his life. In fact, in his later years, he began to put his faith in wealth and women rather than wisdom of the Lord. How often do we do that? How often do we put our faith in the worldly things rather than in the Word of God? If you have some questions about what you heard today, we'd be happy to try to answer these questions or pray with you about what's weighing on your heart. Please don't hesitate to call us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609-884-5821. Keep looking to Scripture for answers and know that we care about the journey you're on. We're so glad you tuned in to Assure Hope today. You can hear more messages like this one from Pastor Dave at our website. Just click on the Messages tab when you visit AssureHopeRadio.com. We'd love to meet you, too. Each Sunday, we gather at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m., and you can find directions and more about Calvary Chapel Cape May by visiting AssureHopeRadio.com. You'll also find us on Facebook and YouTube. Links for both are at AsureHopeRadio.com. There's more to learn from the book of First Kings next time, so be sure to join us again right here on Asure Hope.